Good evening. The storm rages on, and there isn't any hope left. This is quietly yours. Christmas is a time for family, and tonight we'll follow one family through their ups and downs. But do they know we're watching? Tonight's story is called, I Wish It Could Be Christmas, Every Day. This year's Christmas episodes are some of our most ambitious yet, and we'd love to make more of these bigger, more cinematic stories. So if you like what you hear, please consider supporting the show at patreon.com slash quietly yours. You can sign up from as little as a dollar a month, and you can get bonus content and other rewards. But most importantly, you'll be helping the show grow. If you're an Apple podcast user, you can also support us by subscribing to our channel, where you'll also get all of our bonus content. And if you're not able to support us financially, that's fine. You can also help us out massively by sharing the show with your friends, family, and piano tutor. And now, let's dive into I Wish It Could Be Christmas Every Day. It's funny that I should die on Christmas Day. Every other important thing in my life seemed to happen around Christmas. Now, I'm not superstitious or anything like that, but it's one of those funny little things. And I should have known that when the end finally came, it would be on Christmas. I actually met your mother at Christmas. It was at the Christmas market, and that place was amazing. They had so many stalls showing off all the hidden talents that our neighbours had been hiding. There was this one woman. I can't remember her name now. I'm not sure I ever knew it, actually. But we'd run into each other in the post office from time to time, and we'd always stop for a chat. She was lovely, but... unremarkable. <laughs> I hope that doesn't sound... rude. What I mean to say is she was just... completely and utterly... normal. Your average 70-something. But then December came, and there she was at the market, selling these incredible Christmas decorations. They were baubles for the tree, all handmade out of clay and hand-painted. You wouldn't believe how good they looked. You would think they were the work of a professional, and yet here they were, being made from scratch by some 70-something from two streets over. And it was at that market that your mum and I met. It was a stall selling... I think it was... homemade toffee? Something along those lines. We were both there at the same time. Pure coincidence, but we got to talking, and before you knew it, we were wandering the market together, and we just talked for... It must have been a couple of hours. We just hit it off right away. At the end of the night, she told me to give her a ring sometime. Don't think she expected me to take her up on that offer the very next day, but what can I say? I was impatient back then, and to be honest, I'm not sure I'd thought about anything else all day. Well, the feelings seemed to be mutual, at least. We must have sat talking for an hour before her mother pried the phone out of her hands and hung up on me. We had a good laugh about it when we saw each other a few days later. We went for a walk and it started off lovely. It was cold, but it had been a beautiful winter. There was this layer of frost over everything and it turned the whole landscape white. So we went for a walk and we just took it all in. It was stunning. And then the rain came, and neither of us had an umbrella. We rushed back as quickly as we could, but there was no helping her. We both ended up soaked to the bone. I told her that I'd make sure the second date was better. And I had every intention of keeping that promise. I booked a nice restaurant, I bought a new suit, and we had a lovely time. But I hadn't thought to ask if she had any allergies. <sighs> Your mum ended up with a rash that made her whole face go bright red. I was horrified. Honestly, I could have curled up and died right there. <laughs> but your mum, bless her, she laughed the whole thing off. 
thought it was hysterical. Naturally, I was determined to get it right with the third attempt. I decided I'd take her out dancing. What could go wrong with that? Well, it was a nice idea. But by the end of the night, she'd slipped on someone's spilled drink and went home with a sprained ankle. And then she looked at me with this big grin and asked me why I was so dead set on ruining her life. We continued seeing each other, of course, despite the constant stream of disasters. And I knew pretty early on that she was the one for me. By the time I'd decided to ask her to marry me, winter was already approaching again, so I decided to hold off, keep the whole thing hidden, and surprise her on Christmas Day. God only knows why, but she said yes. We were married in the spring, and by the following Christmas we were settled into our new house. And then, on Christmas Day, she told me the news. You were on the way. We were so excited. You got here late in the summer, and everything was just... bliss. I wouldn't trade those first few years for anything. But then the war came. For a long time, we thought it might fizzle out. But it only seemed to escalate and escalate. It felt unreal. And for a long time, it was hard to believe it was even happening. But then the letter arrived. And off we went. Leaving our homes. Our families. Leaving everything behind. I always wondered. When you would think of me... What was it you were imagining? Maybe you saw images of old battles in your mind, charging on horseback and clashing swords, because that's heroic, almost romantic, but it was nothing like that. Maybe you just didn't think of me at all. It's probably for the best that you didn't that you didn't know what it was like out there. If you knew. And maybe you'd learn it all eventually. Read the words of others, of those who made it out, and learn the reality of the hell that we lived through. I wish I could have told you it all myself. In my own time, I'm sure I would have. But I would never get that chance, would I? Even there... Even in the middle of hell on earth, Christmas felt different. We tried to keep ourselves upbeat. We exchanged gifts, regifted food supplies mostly, but you've got to work with what you've got. And it was never going to feel the way that Christmas felt at home, but still, it was Christmas Day and everything felt. It was not quite peace. But not quite war, either. We never expected any kind of attack. Not on Christmas Day. We never would have... It seemed... unthinkable. But that was wishful thinking, and it made us lower our guard. It made us vulnerable. I hardly even remember it. It comes and goes in flashes. I remember a searing pain at the back of my skull, which radiated down my back in painful pulses. And I remember running. I don't think I'd registered that I'd been hit, so I tried to run, but I didn't get far. And the next thing I felt was the wet mud engulfing my face as I hit the ground. And then there's these brief memories of people hovering over me, trying to help me, trying to talk to me, but none of it, not a word, nothing went in. I don't know how long I managed to hold on for in the end. It must have been a while. Long enough for the shock to wear off at least, because I remember this one moment of absolute clarity right at the end. I opened my eyes, looked up at the sky, an expansive but empty sky. Not a bird in sight, 
I hadn't seen or heard a bird in so long. Just didn't realize until that moment how much I'd missed that. And as I lay there, it finally hit me that this was it. I'd never see home again. Never see you, me your mother. Never hear another bird. Never read another book. I opened my mouth. I don't know what I wanted to say. Maybe nothing. Maybe I just wanted to scream, but no sound would come out. Nothing. I guess I'd already said my last words then. I wonder what they were. There was no point trying to fight it. It was too late for that. So I closed my eyes. And I thought of you. It was hard enough knowing that this was your first Christmas without me. But to know that last year, that that had been our last, and none of us even knew it, it felt unfair. It felt cruel. And I laid there, in the freezing mud, just wishing, more than anything, that I could spend every Christmas with you, the way it should be. And then, like drifting to sleep, my thoughts slowed and slowed until they came to a gentle stop. And that was that. There was nothing. Just emptiness. And then, birds. I could hear birds. I opened my eyes and I couldn't believe what I was seeing. It was the living room. Our living room. And it looked the same way it did every Christmas with our small but charming tree in the corner of the room by the fireplace. It's artificial limbs draped in red and gold. But how is this happening? How could I be home? And then I heard a sound on the stairs. A sound that I recognized in an instant. I turned, and there you were, clumsily rushing down the stairs. I ran to you, reached out to take you in my arms and lift you into the air like I always would. But you ran right past me, hurried to the tree and dropped to your knees in front of the presents. It was too funny to feel annoyed. All I could do was laugh. And then I heard a second pair of footsteps, and I turned to see your mother coming down the stairs. I could tell she must have woken up not five minutes earlier and was not particularly happy about it. But I'm not sure you'd given her much choice. Dora, I said as I moved towards her. But she ignored me too. Walked right past me like I wasn't even there. I tried to laugh it off. I tried to play along with the joke in good humour, but... Still, neither of you responded. You wouldn't even look at me. Your mum sat down and watched as you started working your way through the presents. With no idea that I was even there. It didn't make sense. Was this a memory? My life flashing before my eyes. But it couldn't be. That didn't make sense. I didn't recognize any of this. I never lived through this moment. But it was real. It felt real. I felt real. But I couldn't have been. No one could hear me. No one could see me. And when I tried to pick anything up to touch anything at all, it was like numbness set in, spreading up my arm like a plunged my hand into ice water. I feared the worst, but there was nothing I could do. Nothing but watch, so that's exactly what I did. I watched as the day passed me by. I watched you open your presents. I watched as your grandparents arrived and the four of you ate your Christmas dinner together. I watched as you listened to the king's speech. He spoke of the war, of its end, Maybe this is some kind of vision. That's what I told myself. Maybe. The evening came. Your grandparents left. Your mum put you to bed. And then she went back downstairs, opened a bottle of wine, and played records for the rest of the night. Tears in her eyes. Until she hit her limit and fell asleep. The songs she played... I knew what they were, what they meant. I knew what was happening, and there was no more denying it. But it's not that simple, because this, this isn't heaven. But I don't think it's hell. 
The dying hours of Christmas Day passed by, and the night grew darker and colder, and as the day came to a close, it's, it's like everything seemed to fade away, like an inky blackness consuming everything, and then there was nothing, just nothing. And then, all of a sudden, the light was back. The sun was shining, the birds were singing, and it was morning again. I didn't understand. Had I fallen asleep? You and your mother, you were both there again, but everything was different. Mostly in small ways, different pillows on the sofa, different ornaments on the windowsill. And then, in the corner by the fireplace where just hours earlier our Christmas tree had been, your mother stood in full perfectionist mode, adjusting the decorations on a brand new tree. It's definitely a lot taller than the old tree. There. Looks nice, doesn't it? Ruth? Yeah, it's nice. What's wrong? Nothing. I like the old tree. So did I, but it was falling apart. Don't you like this one? Yeah, it's nice. It's just, it's not the same. I know. I miss him. I know. I miss him too. And then I watched it all happen again. Presents. Dinner. Your grandfather having one too many drinks and falling fast asleep by mid-afternoon. Another memory that wasn't mine. Another Christmas day that I couldn't remember that didn't happen, or that happened without me. Then, once again, night fell, darkness came, and there was nothing. And then, sunlight, birds, and outside, a light shower of snow gently fell and coated the ground. And then down the stairs you came bounding as you always did, your mother close behind. It was Christmas again, but not the same one. You see, I'd figured it out now. I knew exactly what was happening. I thought back to that first Christmas, the one where all this started. Lying there, the cold, wet mud against my back, the hot sting of pain down the side of my body. In those last moments, when I'd realized that this was the end I'd wished, wished to see you again, wished I could spend every Christmas with you. And somehow, I don't know how, but somehow, it came true. This wasn't exactly what I had in mind, granted, but I'm not sure I was really thinking of the specifics. All I knew was the end was growing near, and had it given anything, anything, to see you again? It could have been God or genie, Santa Claus himself for all I know, but it didn't matter, not really. All that was important was that this was a gift, a chance that I never thought I'd get. So I stopped fighting it, and I just watched. It was wonderful that third Christmas. I could already tell you were getting so big. My parents came to visit that year, and it was fantastic to see them again as well, to know that they were both okay. And you all had so much fun. You laughed, you sang, and ended the night with a mug of hot chocolate that left a big brown mustache on your upper lip, which you found so funny you refused to let your mum wipe it off. And as the day came to an end, I felt a comforting peace. And the darkness came, and the world receded, and there was light, birds, a frosty lawn. But this year would be different. I should have seen it coming. I should have known. But I wasn't prepared. It was like a punch directly to the stomach. At first, I guess I felt angry or bitter. No. No, there's no point trying to make it sound like anything other than what it actually was. Jealousy. And for that, I felt terrible. It isn't as though anyone would expect your mother's grief forever, and that would never be what I want. I only ever wanted the two of you to be happy, and if that means... Only, you're not supposed to hang around and see that part. You're not supposed to see what happens next. 
Are you all right in there? Fine. Haven't burned anything, have you? <laughs> Here we go. Wow. It looks amazing. And you doubted me. Ruth, pass me your plate. I hope you're hungry. Yes. There you go. Is that enough? No. You want more? Well, if you insist. There you go. Is that enough? No. No. You want more? Look at this door. She's eating us out of house and home. Better eat all that now, else there'll be trouble. Yeah, yeah. Doesn't even wait for us. What are we raising? <laughs> I can't complain. I really can't. At the end of the day, it's good to know you've got someone looking out for you and Dennis. He spoke not a word. Well, to be honest, to his work. I'm not sure you could have I asked for anyone all better. The stockings then turned with a jerk and laying his finger aside of his nose and giving a nod up the chimney he rose. He sprang to his sleigh to his team gave a whistle and away they all flew like the down of a thistle. But I heard him exclaim ere he drove out of sight, Happy Christmas to all and to all a good night. Oh. Tired? Yeah. Good. I was worried I was boring you. <laughs> no, I liked it. I'm glad my mum used to read this to me every Christmas. At least until I got too old for it, anyway. When did you get too old for it? I didn't. I thought I did. Got embarrassed one year when she suggested we read it. I was wrong, though. And I'll tell you what, I'd give anything to hear her read it again now. <clears throat> Come on, then. Up to bed. Get your pyjamas on and I'll be up in ten. That's everything washed. Could have waited until tomorrow, you know. Yeah, but it's just one less thing to do tomorrow. <sighs> Tired. Mm, it's been a long day. Well, at least it's only once a year. Oh, oh. oh you've set me off now. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where I go. Between. It reaches the end of the day, December 25th, and the darkness comes. And then the next thing I know it's morning, December 25th, one year later. What happens to me those other 365 days? Do I cease to exist? Or am I still here in some kind of sleep? Does it even make a difference? But it brings a whole new appreciation to the phrase time flies. Every day for me was a year for you and I watched you grow up right before my eyes. And there's a great sadness to that. Seeing how far you'd come. But never getting to know how you'd gotten there. But each day, I would remind myself of the alternative. That I could never have seen this at all. Never seen your childhood go by. Never seen the woman you would become. But I did get to see it. Every step of the way. Every change in your life. Big and small. So, how are you two settling in? Very well, actually. I know it's only been a few weeks, but it's already starting to feel like home. I think it just takes some time to adjust to a new house. Never feels like home right away, does it? I'm sure that's nothing to do with the fact we had no furniture for the first week. That's true. We were sitting on the floor. Why didn't you say? We've got plenty of things you could have taken. Oh, no need. We had it all sorted, just waiting on the shop. Well, I'm glad it's all looking nice. We'll all have to pack into yours next year and you can do the turkey. You mean I can? He can't toast bread. I can toast bread? Don't worry about it. I've burned dinner hundreds of times. It happens. <laughs> Let's just say the uh, the following year would quickly confirm that there was no hope whatsoever for your new husband's cooking skills. It's fine.
It's fine. Well, the, the turkey is fine. Uh, and that's what matters. No one wanted roast potatoes anyway, right? Okay. You can all wipe those smirks off your faces. I didn't say anything. Nor did I. It's funny the things I've missed. The way I have to fill in the blanks. I had no idea what any of you did for careers. You never discussed work at Christmas. But if you didn't discuss it at Christmas, I wouldn't hear it at all. And then there's the people. It was wonderful to see my parents again, but that would be the last time I'd see them. I don't know why. You never talked about them. Not on Christmas, anyway. And I'm left to wonder why. Maybe they just stopped coming over on Christmas Day. Maybe they started visiting on Christmas Eve or Boxing Day and I just miss them by a few hours every time. Or maybe they're both dead. Even then, I'll never know. Were they young? Old? Was it quick? Or were they sick for a long time? Did they go together? Or did one of them have to continue on, alone? I have to say though, of all the things I've missed, the strangest is your husband. By some strange fluke of circumstance, no one ever seemed to address him by name on Christmas Day. Plenty of dears, plenty of dads eventually, but never his name. Somehow it always went unsaid, and so I was none the wiser. He always looked miserable though. He wasn't. He could be quite cheerful. But you wouldn't know it from his face. So I took to calling him Ebenezer, because I thought it suited his lemon-sucking face. I have to admit, though, you found a good one. Not the brightest. Certainly no chef. But it was always clear how much love he had for all of you. I can't believe you sat wrapping presents on Christmas morning. I told you, I... I meant to do them last night. I just... Fell asleep. Again. I was out like a light. Must have needed it. Oh, it's that job. They work you too hard. Anyway, there's no rush. This is for us. Let's face it. She's not going to remember getting any presents. Well, we can't give her nothing when the rest of us are opening our gifts. She wouldn't know any different. Yes, but we would. Ugh. Speak of the devil. I'll sort it. Here. You're better at this anyway. Don't be too long, okay? Mum and Dad are going to be here any minute. I won't. It's so bizarre how one-sided this whole thing has been. Getting to see my grandchildren, watch them grow, but... Knowing the whole time that they'll never know me. Never speak to me. But I've been here. I've been here the whole time. Mum, Susan's trying to guess the Christmas presents. I am not. What are you two fighting about now? She was trying to guess what the presents are. I was not. We're opening them in about half an hour. Even you two aren't so impatient you can't wait that long. So shut up, and if you can't get along, at least act like you like each other, OK? Fine. I'll act like I like her. Susan, don't push your brother. It's one thing to have missed so much from within the family, but this bubble I've been in has kept me so insulated from the outside world. I have no idea what's going on out there. I'd get little snippets, flashes of news dropped in conversation or delivered in 15 minutes from the king himself. Even that changed, of course, one year. Suddenly it was the queen's speech. That was sooner than anyone expected. But why? I'll never know. With most things though, I've just stayed in the dark. I don't know what's going on out there, who's leading us. There were blackouts one Christmas. How does that even happen in a country like ours? Still, you didn't let it get to you. You still made the most of your Christmas day. 
These are the last ones. When these burn down, we're out. Oh, it won't last that long. The lights will be back on by then. Here, take the crisps through to the kids. All right. Looks like we're celebrating Christmas the old-fashioned way. Hope everyone's ready. Not easy by candlelight, but that's fine. Pretty sure I know this book by heart anyway. <clears throat> Twas the night before Christmas, and all through the house, not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. The stockings were hung by the chimney with care, in the hopes that St Nicholas soon would be there. Those Christmases were some of the best. Your mother and Dennis would arrive for dinner in the early afternoon, and stay until evening, and it was just wonderful to see the six of you enjoy the day together. For a brief time, it really felt like those Christmases would last forever. But they wouldn't. There was one Christmas that would be completely different. The night faded to nothing, like it always did. The light came. But it wasn't warm sunlight. It was cold and harsh, and there were no birds. Just the gentle hum and beep of machines. The whole family came to visit to make the day a bit brighter. It wouldn't have been fair to keep the kids there all day though, so Ebenezer took them home after a couple of hours. But you, Ruth, you could have been at home with them, eating proper food, having a proper Christmas. Dennis himself told you several times to just leave, go enjoy yourself, but you wouldn't. You stayed there all day, by his bedside, surviving on hospital food, and smiling through all of it. This was nice. Thanks for doing this. We couldn't have Christmas without you, could we? Food wasn't as good, though. <laughs> I bet. Oh, well. We can do it properly next year, can't we? Well, I wouldn't count on it. Oh, don't say that. I'm serious. I'm not going to make it, kid. Don't look at me like that. I've come to terms with it. Not how I envisaged my last Christmas, but if that's what it is, well, I have to consider myself lucky, don't I? To have a family like you guys who make some crappy hospital room feel like home. <laughs> I can't imagine Christmas without you. I can't imagine anything without you. I know, but you'll adjust. You'll be fine eventually. I know you will. You're strong enough. It's your mother I'm worried about. You need to look after her, Ruthie. Make sure she's not on her own too much. Yeah, I will. And don't let that husband of yours cook any more Christmas dinners, all right? <laughs> Do it yourself if you have to. <laughs> I'll tell him he's permanently banned from the kitchen. Well, it's good to know there's a plan. But who knows? Maybe we'll all be sat around the table this time next year and this will all be a bad memory. Maybe I'll surprise you. Yeah. I hope so. I felt jealous again, I'll admit that. There's a million better things I could have been feeling, but the only thing I could feel was an intense envy, which is crazy. To watch him like that at the end and wish it was me. But it was hard to watch you go through that, to see you grieve for him in a way that you never grieved for me. But then I remind myself that I wasn't there for it. I didn't see it. 
that whole year, I'm sure you cried. I'm sure you grieved, for me just as strongly as you did for Dennis. But then you were so young when I left you. Dennis had been there for most of your life. But I... I vanished from it long ago. I'm not even sure you have much to remember me by. If you even remember me at all. Was Dennis more of a father to you? I fear that the answer is yes. But then... Is that such a bad thing? Sometimes I wonder if I was wrong. Sometimes I think maybe this is hell. Still. One thing I have learned is that it's... It's a brave thing. To be with someone when you know there's nothing you can do to help them. To stay with them. For no reason other than to make sure that they're not on their own. You, you did it without question. Leaving never even crossed your mind. Dennis raised such a brave woman. It's so strange. It had been days, literally days, since you were this tiny child with no worry in the world but what presents you might find under the tree. And now you are a mother, and your kids, they grew just as fast. Bigger each and every day. Susan was just like you. Well behaved, quick to mature. Alan, on the other hand, I think he was probably more of a handful. You'd do presents. Susan would disappear into a corner to play peacefully by herself, and Alan would always end up running around like he'd never run out of energy. And then they got older, and... There was this one Christmas. You didn't know, not at first, but Alan had managed to sneak a bottle of... I don't even know what it was, but it must have been strong. I think he was probably 15 at the time. I don't think he'd ever had a sip of alcohol before, let alone been drunk. I think he just liked the feeling that he was rebelling, but... He didn't know how much he could handle, and the poor guy made himself sick. Completely sick by the afternoon. And you were so mad at him, at first. Anyway, you couldn't keep the bad guy act up for long, not when you saw how ill he felt. Susan, meanwhile, just rolled her eyes at him like she was used to him making an absolute fool out of himself. But just as with you, the days, the years, marched on. And before I knew it, they were both fully grown. Just a month to go. Are you nervous? <laughs> a little bit. Okay, a lot. Oh, you'll be fine. Were you nervous before you married Dad? Mm, not really. But I was young and dumb and everyone got married early back then anyway, so it always just felt like something you were supposed to do. <laughs> like a haircut? <laughs> yeah, if you like. It worked out for us, but I'm surprised there aren't tons of divorces coming out of our generation, if I'm honest. We all rushed into things too quick, too young. Are you calling me old? <laughs> no. I'm saying you have more life experience than I did. <laughs> That's another way of saying old. <laughs> <laughs> What I mean to say is you're doing it for the right reasons. And you didn't? Probably not, no. Don't get me wrong, I adore your father. But most of that came later. Found him a bit annoying in the beginning, to be honest. <laughs> well, Peter can be pretty annoying too. Oh, he's pretty great though. <laughs> yeah, he is. One month. One month. Peter does seem like a great man. He and Susan are great together. Alan wasn't too far behind either. He married a woman named Julie, and well, she seems lovely. That first Christmas after they were married, wow, it was packed. You, your mother, Ebenezer, Alan and Julie, Peter, Susan, and the new addition, B. 
baby Christopher. That was a lovely Christmas. Though, a bit sad, in hindsight. It would be one of the last Christmases that all of you would be together. Over the next few years, the family would grow so much. Christopher was joined by Lucy just a few years later, and Alan and Julie, well, they were busy, let's put it that way. Thomas, Claire, and Jack. All in the space of, I want to say, four years. But as the family grows, well, Christmas naturally shrinks. I suppose that's just the cycle of life. But it's sad to see it play out so quickly. Once your mother was the head of the family and you all came to her. Then, quietly, one year, maybe without anyone even noticing, the baton was passed and the role became yours. And for years, everyone came to you. Your house became the centre to which the whole family would return. But slowly, that changed. Susan and Peter would always visit and bring Lucy and Christopher with them. But after Jack was born, Alan and Julie's visits seemed to stop. I guess it's a lot to ask for them to wrangle three energetic kids on Christmas Day. And so, for most of the day, it would just be you, your mum, and Ebenezer. And well, you seemed to have a nice enough time. Maybe you even liked having a more relaxing, laid-back Christmas. But I couldn't help but feel a little sadness. For me, it was just a few days earlier that the house was filled with a dozen people, and now, it was so quiet. But then there was one Christmas that brought everyone back together. The whole family. I wish it had been under better circumstances. I wish that I'd known that the previous one would be the last. I don't know how it happened. Peacefully, I hope. In a way, I felt more like an outsider than I'd ever felt. I would hear everyone talk about their favourite memories of her, and it was a Dora that I didn't even recognise. I felt like I was grieving for a completely different person. But the Dora I remember, that woman doesn't exist anymore. She hasn't existed for decades. She's a photograph in my mind. One frozen frame from a much longer life. And the real Dora, the one you remember, she's not mine to grieve. Not really. None of that made it any easier. She's still... She was... When you toasted to her memory that evening, none of you knew that there was a 12th member of your group toasting right alongside you to the woman who made you all the people you are. To Dora. To Dora! I'd long since stopped trying to figure out the year. It's not as though it really mattered anyway. But then one year, it was obvious. The big one. A whole century. The year 2000. Oh, it sounds so futuristic. To be honest, I never thought I'd live to see it. Oh, you know what I mean. I was never a big reader as a child. But as a grown-up, I fell in love with those cheap, paperback novels about far-off technologies. It was so much fun to see a window into the future, one person's imagining of it at least, and to wonder how much of it would come true, how much was really possible. What made those novels so great was the optimism, the hope, the unshakable faith in the future and our ability to shape it. Those authors, they were so certain that everything would get better, that we'd be living in a utopia someday. And we needed that hope. We needed that hope. When it felt like the world was coming apart at the seams, we needed hope that one day it would all be behind us and we'd enter a bright new future. 
knowing that we were heading into the 21st century, I, I couldn't help but feel a sliver of that hope rising up within me again. But that optimism, it wouldn't last. I don't know exactly what happened. I don't even know why. I don't get to see that. Don't get to hear any of that. I just get scraps of information and I'm left to put them together like a puzzle to try and make sense of all of this. But then maybe there's no sense to be made of it at all. I think it must have been the Christmas of 2004, I guess. I didn't realize anything was wrong. Not at first. But everyone was quieter. More subdued, I suppose. But otherwise, it was a normal Christmas. Only with this sad tension in the air going unaddressed that only got worse as the day progressed. Only as dinner was served did it hit me. This must have been the biggest Christmas yet. Everyone was here. Susan and Peter, Alan and Julie, the kids. But one person missing. Then, over the food, you all toasted to him. To his memory. But I didn't understand. What could have happened? He was so young. Only then did I see the new addition above the fireplace. A framed picture of Christopher in his uniform. Seeming to look down on you all as you ate your Christmas dinner in silence. It's not fair. It's supposed to get better. It has to get better, otherwise, what the hell were we even fighting for? And I thought we'd won. I thought that all the pain, all the suffering, I thought it had meant something. That dying in the mud had meant something. Changed something. Did Christopher wonder the same when his time came? Did he wonder if he'd done it? If he'd succeeded? If the future was changed for the better by his sacrifice? Wherever he is now, I hope he never has to find out. And I'm sure they still walk the cemeteries, lay their wreaths, say their prayers, and profess their gratitude for the sacrifice of those who came before. And they'll call it respect. It's not. The day came to an end, and I hoped for some joy when sunrise came. For some kind of brevity, a light to cut through the dark. But there would be none. Another Christmas. And another empty seat at the table. I wish I could have met Ebenezer. He seemed like a good man. The kind of man who always put his family first and didn't take himself too seriously. And it's clear how big a part of the family he was by the size of the hole he left behind. And to go through this two years in a row. How much heartbreak can one family take? How much can I take? I shouldn't even be here. Shouldn't have to see this. I shouldn't have to see any of this. I shouldn't have to watch these kids grow just to see them die. I've seen so many wonderful things too. I've met, well, I've seen grandkids that I never would have known. But is it worth it? I've asked myself that question a lot. You've been quiet. I know, sorry. Is it your dad? It's just really different, that's all. I'm sure I'll get used to it. You will, but it might take a while. I went through the same thing when my dad died, but I was so young. It was just me and him and mum, and then suddenly it was just me and mum, and the house felt so empty. At least you've got lots of family around you. Yeah, I suppose. It must have been hard for you. Did you even... What? 
Did you even understand? I'm not sure I've even fully got my head around it. It's like my brain knows, but my body doesn't. Hmm. I knew. I understood it all. People would treat me like I didn't, sugarcoat everything, talk down to me. Trying to protect me, I suppose. But no. I knew exactly what had happened. I knew exactly what it meant. Also the mum at times, I think. Sometimes I'd catch her staring out the door as though we might just walk through it at any moment. I think she almost believed he might. Like you said, her brain knew, but in her heart, she couldn't accept that he wasn't coming back. But I always knew. So how long did it take you to come to terms with it? Oh, I don't know. About 45 years. 45 years? <laughs> Honestly, yes. Oh, I don't think I ever really came to terms with it properly. Not until we lost Dad. Dennis, I mean. Other Dad. It was different at that time. Because uh, I had you and Alan, the kids... It wasn't just the two of us alone in an empty house, but but more than that, it, it made me think about what we've got, what we could have missed. What if my dad had died just a few years earlier? There'd be no me, no you, no Lucy, no... No Christopher? Sorry. No, I know what you mean. It tortured me for months after Chris died. Wondering if I'd be happier if he'd never been born in the first place. Then I'd feel guilty for even thinking that. Wondering if anyone else in my position would feel the same, or if there's just something wrong with me. But that was all stupid. No one else was judging me, so why was I being so hard on myself? Well, I think we all do that when we're feeling things we're not used to. Well, the answer was always the same in the end, anyway. No, it wouldn't be better. I'd rather lose him a million times over than live without him at all. That's what you mean, right? We've got to... to learn to live with the bad things by focusing on the good. Well, I didn't put it quite so eloquently, but I suppose so, yes. Have you ever considered a career in psychology? Too late to change career paths, do you think? <laughs> there were plenty of things to celebrate as the 21st century marched on. Lucy went on to university and graduated in the top 10% of the class. Not bad for the first of the family to go. Thomas settled down with a long-term girlfriend. They had a little boy. His name... Uh, well, I don't know, actually. They only visited once and it must have only been for half an hour or so. But as I said, the more the family grows, the more it spreads out. And the quieter your Christmases became. You spent every Christmas at Susan's by this point. I think you lived there full time. I don't know if... I don't think you could live on your own anymore. Time had taken its toll. It seemed to happen so quickly, without me even realising it, but then... I think even now I see you in my head the way you were when you were younger. But it must have been more than 70 years since I died, and you'd lived so much in that time. A good life, I hope. A happy life, I think, as I see years of laughter recorded on your skin. But as you'd grown older, you'd grown quieter, too. Sometimes you seemed shy. Other times it's as though you were confused. At first I thought it was just natural. No one's as sharp in their old age as they were when they were younger. But from the way that the others spoke to you, spoke about you, it was clear that something was wrong. And it only seemed to get worse with each passing year. Like bits of you were being taken away. Like you were being slowly hollowed out by an invisible hand. 
Christmas. Hi, Mom. Nice to meet you again, Susan. Merry Christmas. Peter's busy in the kitchen, as always. Dinner shouldn't be too long. Another hour, maybe. Sounds good. How is she? Not great. She has good days and bad days, you know. Today, it's not a good day. Hi, Nan. Are you having a good Christmas? There's someone here I want you to meet. This is Matthew. Hello, Ruth. Good to finally meet you. I've heard loads about you. She doesn't... Like I said, she has good days and bad days. I don't think she even recognises me. This place looks amazing, Susan. You've gone all out on the decoration. (laughs) Thank you. I try. She's being modest. It's like this every year. She's some kind of decorating prodigy, I swear. Oh, you flatter me. Well, you definitely didn't hold back. You've even got a real tree. Not many people bother with that. Well, we used to have a plastic one, but we decided to get a real one a few years back and it was so much better, so we stuck with it. A lot messier and constantly hoovering up pine needles, but it just feels right in a way that a plastic one never does, you know? I like the old tree. What's that, Nan? I like the old tree. We haven't had that tree for years, though, have we, Mum? It's not the same. Come on, Mum. Let's get you to the dining table. We'll be eating soon. It's not the same. I know. I know. Lucy and Matthew seemed really happy together. They came by again the following year, stayed for a bit longer too, and by that time they'd had a little boy of their own. Susan was over the moon to have her first grandchild. She'd gotten a picture of him framed, but the mantle was already full to the brim. Christopher, smiling in his uniform. A school photo of Lucy with a wide grin, despite two missing teeth. A photo of Dora and Dennis posing smartly while young Alan and Susan refused to sit still. Many, many wedding photos of Susan and Peter, of you and Ebenezer. Even a small sepia photograph of me and your mother on our wedding day. And now, balanced precariously on the end of the shelf, a photo of baby Jaden. Nearly a hundred years of our family's history somehow packed onto one shelf. I felt a sense of peace that day that I hadn't felt for a while. Perhaps it's the children. With so much loss in these last few years, it was a relief to see life bloom again. Or maybe it's me. Maybe I'm just... worn down. It's been... so long. So many years, so many days. I've seen so much and I am so, so tired. You didn't say much that Christmas. I'm not sure how much you were even aware of, or how much of you there was left. I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know what would come next. But I was tired. And I was sick, sick of thinking, of trying to figure things out. I sat with you that night, though you wouldn't have known it. I placed my hand on yours, though you wouldn't have felt it. And I waited for the darkness, which arrived as it always did, and took everything away again. And then there was light, and the singing of birds and a cold, harsh December breeze blowing across my face. Beneath me, I could feel grass, slightly wet from the thawing frost. I took a breath. Fresh, crisp air. This was the first time I'd been outside since... since I'd taken my last breath all those years ago. 
But why? Why here? Why now? As the world around me came into focus, I glanced around, and my heart fell into my stomach. As my eyes scanned along the lines of old grey stones. And then, before me, immortalized forever in shiny black granite, your embossed golden name shone at me like a taunt. I reached down to the grass, gripped it within my fist, and pulled at it as though I could dig through to you. But the grass just slipped through my fingers, and my hands gripped at nothing because I'm not here. But I am here. I've always been here. James. That's one mystery solved. Here lies James and loving wife, Ruth. It's so sad that this is where we put people when they're gone. It's so quiet. So lonely. I saw a handful of people who would come by and lay flowers on some of the graves. But it's Christmas Day. And most people are at home. Celebrating with their families. Enjoying life. They don't want to come out here. Be reminded of the death that surrounds them. That awaits them. And so the graveyard remains empty, silent, and I'm alone. I tried to leave, of course. I tried to get up, head for the gate, go anywhere, anywhere but here. It was no use. I couldn't get more than a few feet before the world shifted and twisted, and I found myself right back where I started. With you. I think I always thought... Somewhere in the back of my mind that I would see you again. That I would get the chance to tell you that I was there. That I was with you every step of the way. That I saw you grow. That I saw you raise your children. That I saw you love and grieve and age and die. I thought I would get the chance to tell you somehow. It was freezing that night, after the sun disappeared. There's no lighting in the cemetery, no sound, just the faint light of the moon and the gentle whistle of the wind. And when that familiar darkness came, it felt like the embrace of an old friend, and I was pleased to be free from this hell. then light and birds and grass beneath my feet another day another Christmas with you by my account it's been six days now six years six Christmases and I don't think this is ever going to end I got exactly what I wished for. But what about you, Ruth? Where are you now? Did you go somewhere else? Somewhere better? Or did you cease to exist entirely? Are you nothing more than the withering bones buried beneath me? This is more than I can take. This is more than anyone could take. But there's no way out. Year after year, I'm trapped here with you. With what's left of you. Forever. God help me.
I Wish It Could Be Christmas Every Day starred Sally Walker-Taylor and Clara Kelly as Ruth, Jenny Bowden as Dora, Mark Gee as Dennis, Drew Sinclair as Ebenezer, Harry Moyer as Alan, Hannah Studd and Eloise Kelly as Susan, Laura Black as Lucy, and John Ashmore as Matthew. It was written and directed by Brett Barnett, that's me, produced by Stacey McKenzie, and featured music by Ostrich Bay. If you're enjoying Quietly Yours, be sure to follow the show on your podcast app of choice. You can also sign up to support the show at patreon.com slash quietlyyours, where you can find exclusive rewards like early releases, bonus stories, and behind-the-scenes content. If you're an Apple Podcast user, you can also support the show by subscribing right here in the podcast app. You can find all of our episodes on our website, daffodillies.co.uk slash quietlyyours, that's D-A-F-F-A-D-I-L-L-I-E-S dot co dot uk slash quietlyyours. And if you'd like to get in touch, you can find us all over social media. Our handle everywhere is quietlypodcast. Or you can reach us via email, that's quietlyyours at daffodillies.co.uk. Until next time, I am quietly yours, and you are quietly mine. Quietly Yours is a Daffodilies production.